happy as the man that has his quiver full or something? No wonder y'all was smiling, huh? <laughs> what a wonderful family. That's, that's great to see. That's really great to see. Uh, as I was sitting down there, I was noticing a preacher. And uh, wearing cowboy boots. And I went by a church up by Graham. And it was a cowboy church, it said. The name of the church was the Cowboy Church. So if he ever leaves, go check out there. You'll probably find him. I thought he was going to start square dancing up here the way he was tapping his feet. But anyway, what a blessing. Uh, thank you for having me here. I, the last time I spoke here before yesterday was, I think, about four or five weeks ago or something like that. And I mentioned then that I don't take it lightly standing in this pulpit. You know, I take it very humbly because this is a humbling place. And, and uh, standing and speaking for our God. So let's pray. Heavenly Father, thank you for your love to us. and Thank you, Jesus, for everything you've done for us. And I pray that you would help me today to communicate only the things that you want me to communicate. And Lord, I pray that uh, we've been promised that your word will not return void. So Lord, I'm asking that's what will happen here tonight. If there's anybody here without Christ, May tonight be their night of salvation. In Jesus' name, amen. I'm already warm, so can I do this? Maybe. Didn't even get started yet. I'm actually having a little trouble with my sugar. It was really high today, and I took some insulin, and it didn't seem to work. Well, the insulin is... It's not usually this hot where I'm from, and I usually don't have to worry about my insulin overheating. So I think my insulin got a little warm, so it didn't seem like it was working, so I took another shot. So it's kind of heading downward right now, but I think it's all right. I got a, I got a sensor, so I think we'll be all right. So we'll see. If I drop, run and get me some orange juice, okay? So uh, last time I here, was here, I told some of you, but we've got some new people here, uh, getting old is no fun. Getting old, your memory starts doing funny stuff. And I went to a 7-Eleven store, and I pulled in, and as I'm going in, another guy's coming out. No, just the opposite, let me think. As I'm coming out, another guy's going in. And I had bought a newspaper. And I got in the car, and I'm reading the newspaper. And after a couple minutes, I look up, and he's up to the counter, and him and the guy behind the, behind the counter are looking out, and laughing about something, I look around and I'm sitting in his car. Now, it wasn't even the same color or anything. I have no idea where my mind was, even if I had a mind at that point. But, but yeah, and I got a couple little jokes about getting old. You know you're getting old. I asked my wife, what kind of perfume, perfume are you wearing? It smells nice. Is it Chanel Number no. 5, Moonlight Musk? or love mist, and she says, no, it's Vicks. <laughs> you know you're getting old when everything hurts, and what doesn't hurt doesn't work. I'm so old that when I was a boy, the Dead Sea was only sick. <laughs> so we're getting there, aren't we? We're getting there. I lost my, my brother. We had his funeral yesterday, and uh, uh, it just reminds you, of how frail we really are. You know, we're, the preacher mentioned, we have no guarantee of time. 
So the more we can do for Christ, the better. I do my very best to pass out as many tracks. I, bought, I brought about 200 tracks with me uh, coming from Michigan, and I think I only got about 40 or so left. I try to get them out everywhere I go, every rest stop, everywhere, gas stations, drive through windows, everything. Everything you can get those tracks passed out. They make a difference. And I think I mentioned this before, but um, an incredible story about one track. I'm, I'm chasing a rabbit here, but uh, incredible story. Uh, my brother was working at a General Motors plant, and he went to give a track to a guy. And this was 50 years ago. And <clears throat> he gave the track to the guy, and the guy took the track and put it in his pocket like that. Ray never heard anything else from the guy. My brother never heard nothing else. I was at a church a couple years later, and a different church than one I normally attend, and the preacher introduced me to this guy. His name was Gary Laprich. And when he found out my name, he says, do you have a brother named Ray? And I said, yes. He says, your brother is the reason why I'm here tonight. And I says, tell me. And he says, well, your brother gave me a track. And he says, when I took that track, I didn't even hardly look at it. I just kind of glanced at it and put it in my pocket. When I got home, I threw it away. But about a year later, he said, my wife and I were going through some marital problems. And I wanted to get some counseling. And I thought maybe a Christian counselor would be better. I remembered one word on that track as I put it in my pocket. The word Baptist. I called this Baptist preacher. He came and led my wife and I to Christ. And we're serving God. And you know, you ever heard of Paul Harvey, the rest of the story? That man went on to be one of the best soul winners and bus workers in a big church up in Saginaw, Michigan, and led, I don't know if it's hundreds, led lots and lots of children to Christ. Lots. And not only that, he led a young man to Christ, a teenager, and that teenager went off to Bible college, and he went and either started a church or took over a small church in South Carolina, and it's up to over 2,000 people. Now tell me a track don't work. I won't believe you. No, I don't believe you. I believe they always work. Okay, let's turn our Bibles to Romans 8.26. Romans 8.26. Romans 8.26. Likewise, the Spirit also helpeth our infirmities, that we know not what we should pray for as we ought. But the Spirit itself maketh intercession for us, with groanings which cannot be uttered. This message I'm preaching is a hard message for me. I've preached a, a, actually a, a little bit different, but it's changed around a little bit. But it's a hard, it's a hard message to preach for me because it's very personal. And uh, it, it's a, it has to do with my wife passing away. Uh, she passed away about three, three and a half years ago or so. Um, and... It's kind of built at the end. We'll see where we get to where she comes into the picture. But right now we're going to start off by talking about prayer in the Bible. Different kinds of prayer in the Bible. Matthew 6, 9 through 13. Matthew 6, 9 through 13.
I got a funny story to tell about this uh, this uh, these verses. I'll read it first, and then I'll tell you the story. After this manner, therefore, pray ye, our Father which art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread, and forgive us our debts as we forgive our debtors. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. For thine is the kingdom and the power and the glory forever. Now, we, we see that prayer, and, and we look at it, and we think, wow, God's will is not the same on earth as it is in heaven, is it? There's no abortion in heaven. There's no LGBT or Q or whatever it is. You know, there's none of that in heaven. But there's a lot of religions that focus on this prayer and pray it over and over and over again. So I was preaching at a rescue mission one time, and the lady that set the whole thing up said they really like the Lord's Prayer. So I said, okay. So I got there, and I told them we're going to talk about prayer, and and, uh, I led them in the Lord's Prayer. And all 35 or 40 of them were right along with me during the whole prayer, right out loud. They're all 80 years old or something, you know. I shouldn't say anything. I'm 73, but I'll, I'll be in there one of these days. That's funny. I used to tell my wife, don't worry about putting me in a nursing home. I love people. I love being around people. I won't have no trouble, you know. So don't worry. I don't want to put a burden on anybody. I don't want to go with my daughters or nothing. You know, I don't want to do any of that. Uh, so anyway, they, they followed right along with me. And I got to the end. And I said, you know, we've talked about prayer here today. And there's another prayer, one of the most, very, most important prayers anybody can ever pray. And they're all looking at me. And I says, if you haven't prayed this prayer, you should pray it today. And this is the prayer. Dear Jesus. They all said, Dear Jesus, every one of them. I am a sinner. I am a sinner. I believe you died on the cross for my sins. They said it. Come into my heart and save me. They all said it. Now, I have no idea if any of them even knew what they were doing. But it's the most unique thing that ever happened to me. They all acting like they're getting saved all at once, you know. And it was just funny the way it happened. So, so uh, uh, on earth, we're talking about people living together out of wedlock or just moving in together. The world tells us that that's the way we should do it. And and most of the world goes along with it. You know, they they just go right along with it, just like it's normal. I I tell people, if I would have moved in... With my wife, I was married to her for 49 years. If I would have moved in with my wife, as tough as that first year is, I would have never got married. I would have never, ever got married, you know. I mean, all it teaches you is to just run when things get tough. And that's the society that we live in. We run when things get tough. And so I never would have married her. But I sure am glad I did because I had a wonderful, wonderful 49 years together. Thinking last night, laying on the bed, I was thinking last night, man, we had so much fun. We went places all the time. If we could get away for a day, we'd take off. And spur of the moment, spur of the moment. One time, we, I think Mike, my son's sitting way in the back back there, but one time we told the kids, we're going uh, to go somewhere, we're not sure where. We went up to a restaurant and took a atlas with us, and we're looking around. We said, let's go see Pastor Hal Hightower. Anybody, you guys ever happen to hear him? No. 
Let's go see Pastor Hightower. He's in Lebanon, Missouri. I mean, that's a haul from Michigan, you know. So we took, we took off, called and said we're going to Missouri, you know. So we, anyway, we had a wonderful marriage and a wonderful time. I'm so glad I didn't move in with her first. <laughs> uh, so uh, the saved prayer is the most important thing, of course. It's the most important prayer any, any of us can ever uh, come up with and do in our lives. But there's a prayer petition is one kind of prayer. A prayer petition is a kind of prayer that, as an unsaved person, I prayed that a lot. I didn't get saved until I was 22 years old. And, the, and I prayed petition prayers all the time. I used to hitchhike all over Michigan uh, from the time I was 12 years old until the time I was 18. I hitchhiked a lot. And I don't know if you guys know it or not, but it snows in Michigan. It gets cold. I'd be out there freezing my feet, praying for a ride. Oh, God, give me a ride, and I'll go to church Sunday. I didn't go to church ever, <laughs> period. And I sure wasn't going to go to church if I got a ride, because I always got a ride eventually. But I was just asking God stuff. I asked God, dear God, let me win the lottery. I'll give money to the church or something. I'll send some money into a TV preacher, you know. Promise God stuff. If God, you let me do this, I'll do this. All kinds of prayer petitions. And we're supposed to pray. We're supposed to bring things to God after we're saved. <laughs> but I went from the prayer of, of with me in mind first. Me, me, me. Selfish. All my prayers. And then one day, 22 years old, my brother, the same guy that handed that track out, probably just about the same time, my brother got me in the car and asked me, wouldn't you like to make sure you're on your way to heaven? Wouldn't you like to make sure? And all of a sudden it made sense to me. Now, I had a little tiny mustard grain seed of faith. I mean, I didn't, I didn't know anything. Didn't. Matter of fact, my brother Ray, he was so, he'd been praying for me for over a year, witnessing to me for over a year, and he was so happy that I received Christ. He didn't tell me that I should tell my wife. He didn't tell me I should get baptized. He didn't tell me I should read my Bible. He didn't tell me I should find a good fundamental church. He didn't tell me nothing. He went just so happy I got saved. Praise God. And I think it's funny. Over the years, I've led a few hundred people to Christ or a couple hundred people to Christ. And I'm happy. I'm much more happier than they are you know, that they got saved, right? They don't know, they don't know what's happening. You know, they don't know the end of it all, you know. But we as a, a soul winner, we know the, the end of it all. So we, we're happy, and he was happy. And so I went back to trying to live the same kind of life I was always living. I didn't change. But it was a little different now. Now when I tried to hustle another woman, I was married and had a little baby, I, got, I thought I got cheated, got married too young, you know, the way the world thinks, right? And I still try to hustle women and stuff, and now I felt guilty, never felt guilty before. Now when I went into a bar, the cuss and the swearing bothered me, never ever bothered me before. Now I went home on a Saturday and said, let's go to church. She goes, why? I said, I don't know. <laughs> and finally we got grounded about six months later. My wife was raised Catholic. She wonderfully got saved. And it's been wonderful ever since. So... <clears throat> Psalm 92 tells us it is a good thing to give thanks to the Lord. This is another kind of prayer, giving thanks. It is a good thing to give thanks to the Lord, 
First Chronicles 23:30, and to stand every morning to thank God, praise the Lord, and likewise at evening, even in the evening, in the morning and in the evening, you know, it's a wonderful thing to do. First Thessalonians 1 Thessalonians 1:3, we're bound to thank God always for you. And then there's a prayer, the pray, prayers of uh, praise. 150, uh, Psalms 150, verse 6, Let everything that hath breath praise the Lord. Psalm 103, 1, Bless the Lord, O my soul, and all that is within me, bless his holy name. So there's petition, thanksgiving, praise, and then there's this kind, this kind of prayer. And this is the kind of prayer that's different than all the others. A great big difference in this kind of prayer. And this is the kind of prayer that is a prayer that you've already prayed and never got an answer. And the answer might be no, because you don't get an answer, so you think the answer might be no. This kind of prayer is the kind of prayer you pray out of desperation. The kind of prayer that you pray when all else fails and you don't know what to do and you don't know where to turn, you don't know where to go. You know, just out of your deepest soul kind of prayer. Uh, I heard the story about Jack Hiles. He was a ch- in a church in Texas. I can't remember where. Somewhere in Texas. And he went up to Hammond, Indiana. And when he got up to Hammond, Indiana, he had a wealthy church that he went to. And it was pretty wealthy. They had some people in there, doctors and lawyers and all the rest of it. And so he decided he wanted to start buses. And the whole deacon board was against it. And he had people tell him, you start buses up here in Hammond, and you're going to lose all the money out of this church. So Jack Hiles prayed and prayed. He just kept getting convicted. He needed to start buses. So he went back to Texas. You know how dramatic. I don't know if you know Jack Hiles or not, but he's pretty dramatic. He went, he went to his mom's gravesite. He says, I laid on my mom's grave, and I began praying. He says, and I prayed and I prayed. And he says, I woke up, or I got up, and it was almost morning, I got up and I said, God, I'm taking the kids. And he went back to Hammond, Indiana, started the buses, lost a lot of money. People left the church, a lot of them. Of course, you all know, probably heard that he had a Sunday school of over 20,000 at one time, you know. So the buses really uh, built his ministry. But this kind of prayer, the kind of prayer when you don't, you know, know what else to do or, or, all that, it's, it's an amazing thing. It's kind of prayer sort of like uh, the song, Ship Ahoy. I was drifting away. Can any of you sing Ship Ahoy? My dad does. Huh? My dad does. No, I guess we can't. <laughs> I'd love, I love that song more than anything else. I can't sing, so I'm going to read it. I was drifting away on life's pitiless sea, and the angry waves threatened my ruin to be. When away at my side, I dimly described a stately old vessel, and loudly I cried, Ship ahoy, ship ahoy. T'was the old ship of Zion that was sailing along. All aboard her seemed joyous. I heard their sweet song, and the cap- captain's kind ear, ever ready to hear, 
caught my wail of distress as I cried out in fear, ship ahoy, ship ahoy, and then the rest of it. But here it is, crying out in fear, that kind of prayer, a crying out prayer, you know, different than any other kind of prayer. Uh, Peter, when he's walking on, on water, Matthew 14, 9, he saw the winds and waves and he was afraid and he cried saying, Lord, save me. He didn't know what to do. He was at wit's end. He was afraid. He was going to drown. You know, he thought, this is it. This is the end. And he cried out, Lord, save me. That's the kind of prayer we're talking about right now. In Isaiah 6, 5, he said, Isaiah said when he saw God, Then said I, Woe is me, for I am a man of unclean lips, and I dwell in the midst of a people of unclean lips. For my eyes have seen the King, the Lord of hosts. When I think about Isaiah, I think up until this, this is in chapter 6, and up until this point, chapters 1, 2, 3, 4, and 5, Isaiah is serving God. He's a prophet. He's serving God already. But he saw God. Things change. Things change when you get a place in prayer where you know God is right there. You know he's right there. I mean, not only can you feel it, you can almost taste him. You know, when you get to that place, that's the place where it's this kind of prayer. Jesus on the cross. Jesus on the cross. Matthew twenty-seven forty-six, And about the ninth hour, Jesus cried with a loud voice, saying, Eli, Eli, Eli lama sabbatani. I don't know if I said that right. This, that is to say, my God, my God, why hast thou forsaken me? You know, when we read that, we read it just like I read it. But I think we miss something sometime. You know, when Jesus was on the cross, <clears throat> his father was not his Abba Daddy, Daddy right then. His father was the God of judgment. And Jesus, it seems like Jesus almost didn't know what to do. It was different for him. You know, why are you why did you forsake me? But when when we look at it, we read it, it sounds like that's what it is, but in reality, if you look real close, it says he cried out. He probably said something it probably went something like this. My God, my God. You know, it was a it was a crying out prayer. That kind of desperation prayer when nothing else nothing else will do. It's the only thing that'll do, that kind of prayer. And that's kind of what we're talking about. Because when you think when Jesus was on the cross, he was desperate, he was alone, he was forsaken by his disciples, his believers, all of that. And by God, his Father, he was forsaken. At that moment, like I said, it wasn't like all the other times in the Bible when Jesus spoke of his Father, he was saying, Abba, Father. You know, that's, what, that's how he referred to his Father, Abba, Father, Daddy, or something like that. Here he's not. He's not referring to him as daddy anymore. It's the God of judgment. You know, it's amazing to me that he cried out then. But you know, he didn't cry out when they plucked his beard. He didn't cry out. Can you imagine what that would feel like? You got one. Can you imagine what that would feel like? You know, I, I just can't imagine. And the crown of thorns, they say there are three or four inch spikes on them, you know, thorns coming into your skull. Must have hurt horrible. Cat of nine tails. You've all heard about it. 
got glass or metal or stones tied into each one of those nine straps on the end of the whip. And when they bring it across like that, sometimes it wrap around, rip an eyeball out, make your back look like hamburger. Jesus didn't cry out. He didn't cry out then. He was quiet. The only matter of fact, the only thing he even said mostly was what what we were saying earlier that he was praying for sinners. But about him, there was no desperation then. What he was going through, he was silent. You know, it says that all of his bones were out of joint in Psalms. All of his bones. Can you imagine that? I can relate to that. When I was a senior in high school, I just graduated, and I was playing. Uh, second base, and a ground ball coming, and I took it, and when I went to throw, this left foot was on a twig, and it spun out, and so my knee went like that, and <clears throat> they heard it, third base, second base, they heard it all over the infield, it just cracked, it was so loud, and I'm not going to yell again, but the same way I yelled before is the way I yelled, I yelled, <laughs> oh my goodness, I was laying on the ground, ah, ah, and just... I can't. So Jesus didn't cry out when he was on the cross. He didn't cry out when, when his bones were out of joint. Isaiah fifty two fourteen, as many were stoned, and that's a word for astonished. His visage was so marred, his face was so marred, more than any man. The form of him being a man was marred. It's like a species of men, builder of a family, just totally mangled. He didn't cry out. He was standing before the righteous judge. So God had to turn his back on his own son. These are times like this. Now, my times like this came when I found out my wife had cancer. Actually, it came before that. It came... Where's my brother? I knew I'd do that. (laughs) Can everybody hear me? Anybody not hear me? Okay. Last time, I went to throw my tie out over over, and I said, someone's not going to pay attention to me when I sold one if I got my tie over here, you know. So, and, and we were laughing about that. So, where was I? Cancer. We found out, we, we didn't know my wife had cancer. We knew something was desperately wrong with her. She was so in so much pain. We didn't know what it was. We had no idea what it was. She was in so much pain. She couldn't close her eyes and sleep for any more than 10 minutes at any one time. It was horrible. We went through a couple nights like that. She, she did not want to go to a doctor. You know, so I'm struggling to get her. And I remember at that time we had a king-size bed. And on the king-size bed, she could get a little bit of relief. Now, later on we found out why. She had cancer so bad it was in her pelvic bones. It was in her rib cage. It was in many of her organs. But we didn't know it at that point. So she'd get a little bit of relief if she laid over top of that bed because it was real high. And she laid over top of that bed and it took a little bit of pressure off. It got to be where I had to where I had to pull a chair up behind her. 
and I'd sit in a chair, and I'd have my legs kind of between hers and waiting for it to collapse. And I want to tell you, you go through something like that and find out who God is. <clears throat> so, finally, take her to the emergency room. Talk her into going to the emergency room. Take her to the emergency room. They think it's a kidney stone. So they give her some pain stuff, minor pain stuff, send her back home. Same thing. Horrible pain. Horrible pain. I can't, I can't even be- begin to describe it. Terrible day later, took her back to emergency again. This time they thought it was a, U- a severe UTI. Gave her some pain stuff, sent her back home. Same thing. Same thing. We, we, and this whole time, my daughter and I and my son Mike, we're not sleeping hardly at all because we've got to be there with her. She, she can only, every 10 minutes she's getting up. And you don't know what she, where she's going to go. She's kind of in so much pain, it's affecting her mind and everything, you know. So we were at our wits' end, you know. We were all getting all bushed out and all tired and didn't know what to do, you know. And, and it was like, what are we going to do, you know? And finally, the third time we took her to emergency, and they found out she had cancer. But it didn't. The the horribleness of cancer didn't stop once we found out she had cancer, because they put you in a in a hospital and and uh, they know you got cancer. So a doctor comes in in the morning or comes into the hospital in the morning, he's the guy that prescribes all the pain medicine for all the patients in the hospital for the next day. And he looks at her chart and he prescribes some pain medicine. They didn't know at first how severe that cancer was. So the pain meds they were giving her didn't touch it. Every 10 minutes she was up. She had a port in her chest. She was hooked up to a catheter. And she'd get up every 10 minutes in pain. And we'd have to help her and make sure she didn't pull that thing out. We had to stay with her. The nurses weren't enough. We had to stay with her. She was, it, that's the way it was. And that's the way it was for days. It was that way for days. And I want to tell you something. You go through a time like that, the Bible says that Jesus was all poured out. I was all poured out. I had nothing left spiritually I had nothing left physically, mentally. I was, I was just like a bag of bones or something. I didn't know what to do. The nurse would come in and say, Mrs. Sires, how's your pain level today? Five? I said, no, it's not five. I followed the nurse out in the hallway and I said, don't put five on that chart on our computer. Don't put five on there. It's a ten. It'd be a 20 if you could get a 20. We have to go by what the patient says. I said, what if the patient's out of their mind? What if, what if the patient's mentally retarded or something? You're going you're to write that down there? She's not in the right mind. Because that doctor that comes in in the morning looks at the charts and says, level 5, well, we'll give her this, right? So she's in terrible pain for days and days and days. Finally, a, a, what do you call a preacher at a hospital? Chaplain. Chaplain came in. He talked to me. And he says, I suppose you're praying, aren't you? I go, yeah, yes, sir. He says, are you listening? Now, I didn't know what that meant right then. I didn't know what he meant. I was too tired. Too tired to even think. I didn't think too much about it. But about 3 o'clock that morning, 
they had a, I call it a profit chamber, but they had a little place in the hospital where you could go and go in a room and they had a little bed there and a sink and a toilet, no TV or nothing. It was just meant to go sleep for a couple hours. And so I went in there and I closed the door, shut the light off, hit the bed. And you know, the Bible says that the Holy Spirit prays in her stead. That's what happened that night. I laid on that bed and I could feel God right there. And I said, please, please God, please, please. Over and over again. I didn't ask God to do anything. He knew what I was asking. I was asking him to some miracle to save my wife. He knew exactly what I was asking. But that's not. The Holy Spirit changed that prayer. The Holy Spirit changed that prayer. Because I got up the next morning and I went and told my daughter, we're putting her in hospice, where she can get the pain she needs for the rest of her days. And it was seven or eight days later she died. But she had the pain meds that she needed. So the Holy Spirit stepped in and took a place. But not only that, not only did he stop there, he said, you're going to need me in the coming days and I want to be with you. In the coming, you're going you're gonna to need me. I went to the crematory and picked up the box of ashes. I'm walking out of there with the box of ashes in my hand going up toward my car and I don't know what to do with it. Do I put it in the trunk? Or do I put it in the passenger seat or back seat? My mind was just still confused and still all tired and everything. I set it down beside me in the passenger seat and I looked down and said, Linda J. Sires. That's the wife of my youth. She's reduced to a box. And they didn't even capitalize her letter, the letter of her name. Linda was in small letter, Cyrus is in small letter. See, I needed God right then. And he was there with me. God was there with me, got me through that. I get home um, and I go to get in my bed. I don't like my bed no more. I don't want to... That bed is where we made all of our traveling plans together, where we laughed. Couldn't even sleep in my bed. I didn't like my house. You see, I needed God. I needed God right then. And God was with me. He pulled up alongside of me. He held me up. Just like I held my wife up. He held me up during those times. And I am so glad. I have no idea. Do you? How anybody that's not a Christian can go through something like that. I have no idea. I don't know. It's beyond me. Because I had a God... When I come to my, this time in my life, God is with me. My daughter said, Dad, we've been preparing our whole lives for a day like this. All the prayers, all the devotions, all the soul winning, all the things we serve God with. Our whole lives we've been praying for a day like this, this kind of day. So, you're here today. Number one, if you're not saved, get saved. Number two, think about this day. It's coming for everybody. This day is coming. Heavenly Father, thank you so much for loving us. Thank you, dear Jesus, for your great love toward me, the way that you come alongside and you take care of me.
take care of us as Christians. We're so thankful for that. And Lord, I just pray that you bless each one here. If there's one here that's not saved, I pray to get saved tonight. In Jesus' name, amen. We're going to close with a hymn.